Welcome back. Welcome back. This is the Sports Gamble Ramble. This is SGR81, and today we're starting our AFC West preview. We're heading out west. We're talking about the division champ Kansas City Chiefs. Coming up short last year in the playoffs, but this team has been dominant for years. We'll see if that changes. The division has gotten a lot better this offseason, and it's it's a wild picture out in the West. We're going to break it all down. I do want to mention the NFL preseason is underway uh, Thursday night. The Hall of Fame game between the Raiders and the Jags was a smashing success. Um, Raiders 27 to 11 victory, not much to write home about. We're going to be breaking down the Raiders next. So maybe on tomorrow's episode, we touch base on some takeaways from the hall of fame game, but, uh, basically a scrimmage with uniforms on. So let's talk about the chiefs. Um, this is the team that won the division last year. And I mentioned this division has had some serious moves this off season. I have never seen a division this stacked on paper. Uh, top to bottom, these four rosters are all legit. The, this division may have four top 10 rosters in the NFL. There's a possibility that these teams cannibalize each other a little bit. So I really don't have a high confidence pick as far as who wins this division. I will just tell you guys up front, but I'm going to do my best to provide you guys enough information where maybe you can make an informed decision on it, or maybe we just stay away because I'm not sure how much action I'm going to have on this division, but I am really excited to see how it plays out. So let's talk about the returning divisional champs, the Kansas City Chiefs interesting year last year they finished 12 and 5 but if you guys remember this team started out 3 and 4 and there was a lot of question marks as far as why is the offense struggling so much have has the league figured out this chiefs offense uh, led by Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid. Uh, they clearly, you know, got their act together a little bit there. They finished 9-1 and for a 12-5 and overall record, snagging that divisional title. Um, you know, the Chargers had an early lead in this division and then uh, kind of slowed down over the second half as the Chiefs uh, kind of heated up there. So second seed in the AFC uh, that um, – Late season loss to the Bengals, I believe, and then the Titans winning their last two games. You know, lost them that uh, that first round bye. Um, they did make it to the AFC Championship game. The playoffs looked like this: win at home against Pittsburgh, forty-two to twenty-one. Win versus Buffalo, forty-two to thirty-six. In that incredible incredible divisional round game, uh, that game did win the SB for game of the year. Uh, if you guys missed that, it was a, a lot of fun to watch. And then, you know, a lot of times when you get a massive emotional win like that, you can um, maybe run out of gas. And it looks like maybe that's what they did in the second half of that AFC championship game against the Bengals, losing 27-24 in overtime on a field goal. Wild, wild playoffs for sure. This team covered at an 8-9 and nine rate. Last season, 47%, excuse me. The offense was good. We know this team is offensively driven. Fourth in points per game, 28.2. Third in yards per game, 396.8. The defense, um, interesting. Eighth in points per game, only giving up 21.4, but 27th in yards per game giving up 368.9 turnover margin 11th in the league plus four turnover margin. So that's not even that crazy of a turnover margin to really explain that massive differential in yards versus points per game. I guess they're just a stingy team who knows how to tighten up in the red zone. That's what it looks like to me. 
Uh, Andy Reid, kind of famously known for those bend-don't-break defenses. That was a lot of the talk in Philly throughout his 14 years there. We give up a shit ton of yardage, but we can hold them to field goals. Not that Andy Reid is a defensive coach, but it just seems to be a pattern that follows him throughout his career. Also, real quick, Andy Reid, I just learned this week, fifth all-time on the NFL head coaching wins list. That's impressive as shit. If you guys didn't realize, this guy's been dominating the NFL for almost 25 years as a head coach. So let's give Andy Reid his shout out. Uh, The coaching staff is returning, so all the continuity is there. Andy Reid, manning the ship, Eric Bieniemy still holding down the offensive coordinator spot, and Steve Spagnola still there as the defensive coordinator. Let's talk personnel because... You know, no real surprises so far in the recap. Coaching change is the same. And, uh, you know, again, you guys already knew this team offensively, very good. However, we'll see if that changes this year. The big headline, the big question mark with this team going into 2022, this is the first time we have seen Patrick Mahomes and this current Chiefs regimen without superstar Tyreek Hill. He was traded away to the Miami Dolphins in a move that shocked pretty much everybody this offseason. Um, really a story that kind of came up out of nowhere. It was like at like 8 or 9 a.m. that day we had gotten some some reports where maybe there was trade discussions heating up and then like an hour later it was trade discussions have taken off and it's legitimate and he could get moved this week and then an hour later it's like he's getting moved today it's either the Dolphins or the Jets and this thing happened over a span of four or five hours it was like we went from initial rumors to Tyreek Hill as a Dolphin it was crazy Um, the trade was uh, Tyreek Hill for a uh, 2022 first second and fourth and a 2023 fourth and sixth So the Chiefs got a lot back for him. But again, dynamic playmaker, I don't know know, if you can really replace a Tyreek Hill. So we're going to see what the offense looks like without the Cheetah for the first time. Um, They also lost Tyron Matthew on the defensive side of the ball. I like the guy they brought in to replace him, as we'll talk about him in a few minutes here. But um, just didn't want to pay an aging uh, defender. Um, It's surprising, though, from a leadership standpoint, he really was kind of the vocal uh, face of that defense, uh, to me at least. And um, so that's interesting, a, a kind of a, a role in the locker room and a role on, on the field uh, from a leadership standpoint that they'll have to, um, you know, see what it looks like this year. Uh, cornerback Tredarius uh, Ward, um, Traverius Ward, I believe, uh, has already left the build, also left the building, excuse me. Uh, wide receiver Byron Pringle signed with the Bears. Often, or outside linebacker Melvin Ingram left after really not doing a whole lot on this team last year. He ran out of gas quickly. Um, just two years ago, Ingram was a you know pretty legit pass rusher, and now he's struggling to make rosters at this point in his career. Offensive guard and uh, Austin Blythe, excuse me, uh, defensive tackle Jaron Reed, cornerback Mike Hughes, all gone. Safety Daniel Sorensen not on this team. He was uh, kind of an underrated guy in this defense, I thought, as that overhang box safety. Um, no longer there. Running back uh, Daryl Williams went and signed with the Cardinals. Uh, wide receiver uh, Demarcus Robinson, we talked about him recently. Um, he has gone safety Armani Watts and linebacker Ben Neiman. 
rounding out the key losses. I know a lot of those are small names, so not too much to break down there, except for really Tyreek Hill and Tyron Matthew being some big losses, in my opinion. So key additions, and we'll jump right into the guys that they brought in to replace those positions. First off, I mentioned safety Justin Reed got signed to this team to replace Matthew in the starting role, and he's a guy that I've really liked ever since his uh, his college days and his whole pre-draft process. Um, again, Eagles fan talking here, wanted Philly to draft him. Um, he has been on the Texans throughout the the entire length of his rookie contract now he sees free agency for the first time again wanted philly to sign him i think this is a good underrated player little brother of ed excuse me he's not the little brother of ed reed he's a little brother of eric reed who was another starting safety uh for with a long time with the uh the 49ers there um Justin Reed's an interesting guy. They get him a lot cheaper than Tyron Matthew. He's younger than Tyron Matthew, and I think he can play very well for this team. So as much as Tyron Matthew, uh, he is a game changer, I don't think it's as big of a downgrade as most people because I believe in Justin Reed a lot more, I think, than the general consensus. A lot of people might not know who he is. I like him as a player, and they get him for cheaper than the Honey Badger. Now, wide receiver, I mentioned they're trying to replace Tyreek Hill, and I don't know how you do it, but their um, their first two initial moves to try to make up for that. Wide receiver Marquez Valdez-Scantling comes over from the Packers on a three-year deal, and wide receiver Juju Smith-Schuster signed to a one-year deal. Now, I will come back to this a little in the fantasy breakdown, but I want to mention they gave a substantially larger contract and financial investment to MVS than they did to Juju here. Uh, Valdez Scantling got a three-year, $30 million deal with 15 mil fully guaranteed, while Juju was brought in on a one-year, 3.25 mil deal. Um, so he's making 33% what MVS is making on a yearly basis. Juju only has 2.49 mil guaranteed on his contract on a one-year deal. I mean, if it doesn't go well for Juju, this could be kind of his his last chance to really stay relevant as like an impact receiver. So the one-year deal, uh, all I'm saying is I wanted to point that out because the financial commitment to MVS is pretty substantial. Three years, 30 mil. He's definitely the biggest financial commitment they have on the roster with their other two starting receivers really still being on their rookie deals at, at super you know bargain prices. MVS uh, has some money um, you know, backed into his position on this team. So we need to be aware of that because you got to follow the cash a lot of the time. Um, let's let's keep moving with the uh, offseason additions. Defensive end Carlos Dunlap brought over. Linebacker Jermaine Carter. Uh, safety Deion Bush. Defensive tackle Taylor Stallworth on the defense. Uh, and then back to the offense. Offensive tackle Garen Christian. And running back Ronald Jones came over from the Bucks. He's going to be competing for that starting role with uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And, you know, we'll talk about that in the fantasy segment. But a little bit more competition, I guess, and that maybe new competition, not more competition, because it was already pretty much a committee, and Clyde was even losing snaps to Daryl Williams and Jarek McKinnon last year. So that's another name in the running back room, and Ronald Jones has shown, you know, pretty productive uh, flashes throughout his career. They re-signed a few guys. 
I just mentioned Jarek McKinnon. He was brought back as kind of that third down pass catching back for this team. See an increased uh, snaps at the end of last season and throughout the playoffs, McKinnon. So we'll keep an eye on him. Offensive tackle Andrew Wiley was brought back to this team. Defensive tackle Derek Nandi. And defense, uh, excuse me, backup tight end Blake Bell also extended on this team. So not many big names there either. Really headlines. Again, Justin Reed and the two receivers. Uh, Ronald Jones as well, for those of you who are really more interested in the, uh, the offensive weapons and the fantasy content. Um, we'll talk about the draft. Uh, impressive draft. Pretty strong. Uh, they actually had um, six picks in the first four rounds that we'll talk about here. Uh, four picks in the first two rounds. I mentioned they had Miami's first and second round pick in this draft. So who did they take? Uh, this is similar to the Packers situation, really, where I think 90% of mock drafts had the Chiefs taking at least one receiver in their first, the first two picks there that they had in the first round, and they ended up going both defensive and then go and receiver in the second round. So interesting here. I do like the receiver they got in the second round, but let's tackle the first round before we jump into that. Uh, pick 21 overall off the board in the first round. They took cornerback Trent McDuffie. Um, McDuffie is a guy that is penciled in to be the starting corner on their team from day one here. Legereus Sneed and Trent McDuffie look to be the starting corners. It's a pretty solid duo, both young guys. McDuffie, um, I think he can produce right away. Uh, he seemed to be the you know consensus third corner in this draft to a lot of people. Um, I can't give you a schematic breakdown, but they're going to need him really because the cornerback on that position, relatively thin, maybe their thinnest position on the entire depth chart, to be honest, as I'm looking at it. I mean, the guys behind McDuffie and Sneed are Rashad Fenton, DeAndre Baker, Brandon Dandridge, unfortunate name for that guy, and Joshua Williams. I mean, have you guys ever heard of these guys? Because I haven't. The safeties are pretty good. The duo of Justin Reed and Juan Thornhill, I uh, believe in. McDuffie's going to have to be a starter for this team right away, though. Uh, round one, pick 30, they took defensive end George Karloftis out of Purdue. And Karloftis, um, in, you know, tough tough guy to break down, high athletic profile. I don't think he's very polished. I don't know how impactful he's going to be as a rookie, to be honest. I was not in love with Karloftis in the draft process. Again, Eagles fan talking here. It was talked up a lot that we could take a defensive end in the first round, and Karloftis was a guy being mocked to us a lot. I did not want the Eagles to draft him. He is a Greek god in terms of physical specimen, and literally, he is Greek. He's one of these international guys that picked up football late in his life. He is actually a uh, fantastic elite-level water polo player, so there's talk about him having some unique athleticism, but until I see a guy dominating in the NFL on a football field, I don't give a fuck how well you play water polo. I really am I'm not a big George Karloftis guy, but a lot of people believe in him as a very talented, uh, very athletic pass rusher there at defensive end. He's also penciled in as a starter right now. That defensive line 
Karloft, I think Carlos Dunlap ends up getting more playing time than Karloftis this year, to be honest, as the veteran. But Karloftis is ahead on the depth chart. And then we've got Nadi, uh, Chris Jones, and Frank Clark on that defensive line. It's actually a pretty strong unit if Karloftis is effective. If not, Dunlap can hold down that that spot. But uh, um, not bad for a starting four there on that D-line. Now, I talked about the receiver that they want to, you know, take over. I don't know if you can say take over the Tyreek Hill role, but this guy's going to be the closest thing to it, specifically on the short to intermediate. There's nobody in the NFL that has the deep threat ability to take the top off a defense like Tyreek, so let's just not even waste time. Now, I'm not saying Sky Moore can't do that because I think Sky Moore can be a, a very explosive guy. Uh, and specifically in this Chiefs offense, I mean, it's going to be schemed up so that he does have plenty of opportunity. I think they're going to get the ball in his hands, like I said, underneath and let him dance, do a lot of those quick screens, maybe even some of the touch pass stuff, and maybe even line him up out of the backfield. But yeah, again, the receiver's Sky Moore. He ran a 4-4-140. He was drafted in the second round by the Kansas City Chiefs. I thought he'd be a good fit for um, a team like the Colts in this draft as well, um, considering he kind of fits uh, the opposite skill set of what Michael Pittman Jr. does for that team from a physical receiver standpoint. Uh, Sky Moore out of Western Michigan, by the way, if you guys don't know. Um, I'm excited for him. We'll talk about him more in the fantasy segment, but they definitely needed to draft a receiver, and this is the guy that they chose, so um, definite guy to keep your eye on. Round two, safety Brian Cook out of Cincinnati. Round three, linebacker Leo Chanel out of Wisconsin. And round four, cornerback Joshua Williams out of Fayetteville State. We'll round out our draft recap, and we will jump right into the schedule breakdown and the futures conversation here. So... I think that this Chiefs team is a very good team. I think that they do have a good roster. To be honest, I wanted to come in and shit on their roster a little bit because of, again, we talked about some key losses, Tyreek Hill and Tyron Matthew, kind of big losses here for this team. After I look through the depth chart, it's better than I thought. The offensive line is very good. Actually, Warren Sharp has them ranked third in the NFL this year. Obviously, Mahomes running back by committee. I think they can get it done. It's murky for fantasy purposes. Uh, Some mediocre names there. But in terms of real-life football, they'll probably be okay. I wish they had uh, more of a talented backfield to give this offense a little bit more balance and not make Pat Mahomes have to carry the team. But Mahomes capable. He's a very good quarterback. The receiver room, a little murky, so I guess people don't have confidence there. But, I mean... You know, the defense pretty solid across the board. I mentioned that corner position is a question mark for me. I like the safety duo. Legereus needs a guy that I'm, you know, very confident in to be a solid corner in this league. The linebacking core, Nick Bolton, Jermaine Carter, and Willie Gay. Again, not many household names, but there's some young talent on this defense. Um, linebacker Nick Bolton, 2021 second round pick. Linebacker Willie Gay, Jr., uh, 2023rd round pick. Juan Thornhill, safety, 2019 second round pick. And Sneed was a 2024th round pick. These are all starting guys on that defense with decent draft capital, and they're young, still playing on their rookie contract. It's a matter of if this, if this youth is uh, ready to step up, I think. But what I'm saying is I was ready to come in here and tell you that the Chiefs 
have the worst roster in their division. And it's still possible because, like I said at the beginning of this episode, this division is absolutely fucking stacked. I cannot believe the talent in this division. But... Again, coming back to it, it's all about projecting who's going to win the division, who's going to win the most games, and I can't really tell you with confidence to to bet this Chiefs team on, on much at all this year. I'm not saying they're going to have a massive drop-off. It's really hard to bet against the consistency this team has over the recent history with Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid. Andy Reid is uh, the second-best head coach in the NFL behind Bill Belichick, and I'm not going to doubt them, but they have the 32nd ranked schedule this year. They have the hardest schedule in the league, and their win total is 10 and a half, and I have a tough time. Could they go 11 and 6? Maybe, but in that division and in the AFC itself, I'm telling you some of these teams might absolutely cannibalize each other. It is that is brutal out there in the West. Um, I heard someone give a, a take the other day that I think I agree with as far as the, the AFC is so much deeper than the NFC this year. I think we could see some of these AFC teams struggling to get up into the 13 or 12 win range because of how difficult the conference is, where we might see some of the NFC teams with easier paths. I mean, if you just look at it, you know, you could, there's probably, there's three divisions in the AFC that could send multiple playoff teams. There's really only you know i mean people are worried about the west and then like maybe the saints maybe the vikings maybe the cowboys and eagles both have their shit together but outside of that there's some bottom feeders in that nfc so again as far as a win total perspective i'm not really trying to jump on a lot of overs in the afc 10 and a half wins although it seems so easy for this chiefs team that does it every year i mean they started three and four last year and still won 12 games I get it, but this schedule is a murderer's row. Let's talk about it. Preseason Bears, Commanders, Packers, and then week one at Cardinals, Chargers, at Colts, Bucks, at, uh, excuse me, let me start over. At Cardinals, Chargers, at Colts, at Bucks, Raiders, Bills, at 49ers. Titans. So far there, um, almost all playoff teams from last year. Holy shit, that is a brutal first seven games. Then they get the Jags. Then back to the Chargers, Rams, Bengals, Broncos, Texans, Seahawks, and then back to the division with the Broncos and Raiders. I mean, holy shit. Easy teams, easy wins, Texans, Seahawks, Jags, end of list. I mean, holy fuck. Their division is incredibly hard. And then they have to play teams like the Bills, Bucks, 49ers, Rams, Bengals. Holy shit, guys. I really can't advise over 10.5. I mentioned it, and I don't want to sit here and not give you guys you know, firm takes or firm stances, but I'm not going to have many bets on this division because all four of these teams could be Super Bowl teams. Legitimately, the Raiders have the worst odds in this division as we jump into tomorrow's preview a little bit. The Raiders over under is eight games and they're plus 700 to win the division and they won 10 games and made the playoffs and almost beat the Bengals in the wild card last year and only got better this offseason and they're projected to be the worst team in this division by Vegas 
I, I don't know. I think the Raiders legitimately, after what they did this offseason, bringing in Chandler Jones and Devontae Adams, they I legitimately think that the Raiders could go to the Super Bowl. Like That's how good the worst team in this division is. So holy shit. Ten and a half wins seems like an uphill battle to me. I'm not going to take tell you to fade the Chiefs, but I can't endorse any of this stuff. The over on ten and a half is minus one fifteen. The unders minus one oh five. And I'm telling you, you know, we don't like to wish injury on anyone, and you cannot predict injury. But if Mahomes gets hurt, this team is absolutely finishing last in the division without a fucking doubt. It's too much liability for me to try and win eleven games. With that insane schedule, absolutely bonkers. Man, it's going to be a battle for the Chiefs this year. Their odds to win the division, they're still favored at plus 155. Again, I think that indicates how stacked this division is, that the the favorite is at plus 155, which means nobody has a fucking clue. I mean, typically in a division, you can see, you know, the favorite is usually at minus odds. I mean, sometimes you'll get a division like the NFC East, where Dallas is plus 120 is the favorite. But other than that, I mean, Green Bay's fucking minus 180 to win their division. And we're talking about plus 155 for this dominant Chiefs team that's, you know, always flirting with a Super Bowl appearance. It's wild out in that West. Uh, conference odds plus 500. That's horrible. I'm not taking a, a shot like that in the AFC. There's too many just stacked teams, like I said. I'll look for a value on it. I think that the Colts and the Ravens might be the two teams I really try and attack in the AFC because I think that they're built with that defense and run game, and they're both sitting back at more like 20 to 1 to win the Super Bowl instead of this Chiefs team at 950. It's just the this team is is I get why the odds are high because they're a good team and they're so constantly successful and I'm not telling you that this Chiefs team's going to suck but these odds are just nowhere close to valuable for me in terms of again how much competition they have to go through to reach that Super Bowl plus 950 odds does not even get me close to interested. Their odds to make the playoffs yes minus 210 no plus 170. I mean, I just mentioned how hard the schedule is. This sucks. Like, I'm not telling you guys to do anything one way or the other, really, because, again, just don't bet this division is my advice for you guys. But not to make the playoffs at plus 170 with the hardest schedule in the NFL and the hardest division in the NFL, uh, crazier things have happened. So make up your own mind on that. But I can't get involved with this Chiefs team from a futures perspective. I cannot do it. Can't do it. All right, let's talk fantasy football because that's probably, you know, a little bit more meat and potatoes here. There's some big question marks with the pass-catching weapons and some competition in the running back room. So, man, it's going to be tough to predict. And, you know, if you can call your shot and you can find the value in this offense, it's going to return massive results for you in terms of, you know, return on investment for your fantasy drafts, but it's tough to figure out. And I'll tell you right now, I'll have zero Patrick Mahomes and zero Travis Kelsey in fantasy. I've alluded to it. You guys, I think, understand my philosophy at this point. I'm not taking a quarterback in the first three rounds of a fantasy draft, and I'm not taking a tight end in the first two rounds. And that's what you have to do with these guys. Pat Mahomes being drafted 35th overall, that's like a early fourth-round pick. No thanks. Second quarterback overall after Josh Allen has kind of surpassed him on that fantasy pedestal. 
Um, finished, excuse me, uh, drafted last year as the QB1, uh, 13 overall. Dude, that's an early second round pick for a quarterback? No! What are you guys doing? Uh, finished fourth last year as the fantasy QB. So again, you can see, like, dude, you need this guy to break fantasy football if you're drafting him in the second round. And he got you the fourth finish, QB5 in points per game. I mean, you need this guy to provide you a constant weekly advantage if you're going to invest that high. And, and the odds of him returning that draft cost, no fucking thank you. The schedule not easy this year, 27th uh, in terms of giving up points to the quarterback position in fantasy. Again, to talk about the exposure that you have investing in early draft pick, if you picked Pat Mahomes in the second round last year, you only got a top six weekly quarterback finish 35% of the time. That was eighth best in fantasy football. Uh, top 12 finish, fifth best, even though you're taking him at QB1. The guy has to throw 60 touchdowns in order to return that high of a draft cost. No thank you. He has to either throw 60 touchdowns or rush for 1,500 yards. It's just not going to happen. Uh, the guy only finishing top 12, 64.7% of the time last year. And yeah, that's fifth best in terms of consistency. But that's still not worth the draft cost. Don't touch him. And now he loses Tyreek Hill to even really give you that explosive weekly game-breaking 400-yard and five-touchdown upside. I'm not interested he busted outside of the top 24 in only one game. Good for you. But again, not worth the draft cost. Let's just move on. It's it's just, I might never have Pat Mahomes on any of my fantasy teams ever again. And this is coming from a guy who drafted Pat Mahomes in every one of his fantasy leagues in 2019. I mean, this guy, or was it 2018, I believe? This guy, when, when he won the MVP and he threw 50 touchdowns, I was screaming from the rooftops, Pat Mahomes is your fantasy quarterback this year. The, it was a perfect uh, perfect storm there in terms of the weapons, the supporting cast, the offensive coaching staff, uh, the red shirt year under Alex Smith, being able to learn the offensive system, um, a productive uh, Week 17 game against the Broncos where he showed that he was a competent, competent starter in 2017. And the fact that the Chiefs were supposed to have a really bad defense that year. Now, a lot of those factors have changed, and you're not drafting this guy in your 11th or 12th round of your fantasy draft. So, while I'm, I think Pat Mahomes is a fucking stud, again, he has to put up video game numbers for you to even think about drafting him. It's just too big of a risk. So, running backs. Clyde Edwards-Alaire and Ronald Jones are really the two guys here. I forgot to do honorable mentions. Honorable mentions at the running back position are Jarek McKinnon and Derek Gore. Both guys saw some playing time last year. Both guys a little bit more efficient, to be honest, in their playing time than Clyde Edwards-Alaire. Clyde has been a guy that's disappointed for fantasy and real life. Um, he was being drafted pretty high last year and just did not return at all. Only played 10 games last year, so that's part of it, but... Again, this is a guy that people have flirted with a first-round pick in fantasy drafts before, and he's just never showed it to us. If we can just go back to the draft a few years ago when Clyde was taken in the first round ahead of Jonathan Taylor, DeAndre Swift, and J.K. Dobbins, Chiefs, what the fuck? Now, 
Jonathan Taylor was my RB1 from that draft class. DeAndre Swift, two. J.K. Dobbins, three. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, four for me. It's going to sound like hindsight. It's not. Um, That being said, for this Chiefs team, the obvious pick was DeAndre Swift. This Chiefs team is not built for a Jonathan Taylor, okay? The Colts was the absolute perfect situation with their offensive line and their offensive philosophy. This Chiefs team doesn't need a Jonathan Taylor. They need a pass catcher, an explosive guy that Pat Mahomes can throw checkdowns to. DeAndre Swift was the clear fucking pick here. Rumors are that actually they they listened to some feedback from Mahomes with that pick. Mahomes was a big CEH guy. And it's like, maybe, you know, don't let your quarterback do all your draft scouting for you. I don't know. That's just my opinion. Clyde, being drafted in the seventh round, 69th overall, running back 28. ADP last year, 22 overall, running back 14. So he's dropped quite a bit. As you can see, busted on that return of draft costs last year. Uh, 46 overall running back, 10 games played, 30th in points per game. Nothing special. Ronald Jones this year uh, being drafted 119th overall, running back 42. Uh, Last year being drafted 76th overall, running back 32. He lost his job to Leonard Fournette, never got it back last year. Once you fumble one time in a Bruce Arians offense, you'll pretty much never see the field again. Finished RB uh, 62 last year in 15 games played, RB 79 in points per game. The Chiefs have the 21st easiest fantasy schedule for the running back position in terms of consistency uh Clyde Edwards-Alaire finished a top 12 running back 30 percent of the time last year uh keep in mind 10 game sample size that was 21st in terms of consistency 32nd consistent RB2 with a 20 percent finish through 13 through 24 on the week so top 24 half his games 24th ranked but only 10 game sample size um, finished RB3 on the week, 30% of the games, busted outside of the top 36 in two out of his 10 games. And again, I, you know, I'm okay maybe with spending like an eighth, eighth round pick, like where he's going this year on Clyde. But, um, if, if this is a running back by committee, I, you know, it, it's probably a running back by committee. There's potential Ronald Jones steals his spot. I mean, Jarek McKinnon, I mentioned could, could, uh, grab pass catching, snaps Derek Gore is even a guy that could catapult up that roster I don't I don't think I'm touching any of these guys but it's not a terrible you know draft cost if you want to try and get the starting running back for the Chiefs I just I have my doubts it's probably not something I'm gun ho about um Ronald Jones last year in 15 games played top 12 once um top 24 twice uh, let's just not get into it. He didn't get the playing time. Uh, he was outside of the top 36, 68% of the time. Um, he's a good player. He's not a great player. If Clyde sucks this year, or he fumbles. We can see Jones as the starter. Again, not ruling out a guy like Derek Gore to potentially overtake both those guys. So I'm not really that interested in the situation. Wide receivers also super complicated to break down. A lot of question marks. Juju's being drafted the highest, 80th overall pick, wide receiver 34, last year 77th overall, wide receiver 30. He only played five games last year, he got injured, wide receiver 133, 93 in points per game. Chiefs have the second hardest schedule for fantasy receivers, so with the uncertainty and target share, the difficult schedule, 
I'm not sure I love any of these guys for fantasy. I will say Juju going in your eighth or ninth rounds. It's pretty much a free shot, and you could have the number one receiver for the Chiefs. If there's a guy I'm taking my shot on in fantasy, it's either Juju or it's Sky Moore, the rookie. I think there's potential for Sky to be the number one receiver on this team by the end of the year, especially with Juju only on a one-year $3 million deal. Um, it's just hard to project because he's a rookie. You haven't seen it. Uh, but these other two guys, Nicole Hardman and, and Marquez Valdez-Scantling, really more just deep threats that are going to boom or bust for you, and I don't think they'll be able to be predictable from a fantasy standpoint. So, again, Juju going like eighth or ninth round, only played five games this year. You know, it's his last chance to kind of prove that he's a relevant guy, really. And he showed flashes. He showed when he was in a good offense in Pittsburgh and he was healthy that he could produce. He doesn't have to be the wide receiver one for this team. The first target in the passing game is Travis Kelsey. He's going to have an insane amount of volume. Juju can probably be the chain mover for this team, so if you want to take a stab in the ninth round, you can. I will say he didn't do shit last year in his five games. Um, he never finished top 24, and he busted outside of the top 36, 80%, so four out of those five games. Again, just weird situation. You kind of have to throw it out. Uh you know, again, take a dart throw in the ninth round of your draft if you want to try it. I'm not crazy about any of this. And it's tough because this is an offense that should have fantasy, you know, value, but it's hard to predict where exactly that's going to come from. I mentioned Hardman and MVS, just deep threats. MVS is the guy with the most money behind him. McCole Hardman's coming into the last year of his rookie deal. I don't know if he gets re-signed. And Sky Moore, obviously, a rookie right now. So Hardman, they basically have no financial investment to. Juju, almost the same thing. MVS, I think, will be on the field maybe the most, especially early in the season as that deep threat. But I don't know if I love any of these guys. In best ball, definitely take your shot on MVS because he will have those boom weeks. You actually saw it in his consistency last year on the Packers. Um he finished a top 24 receiver 27.3% of the time. Uh, only played 11 games, so that's three games, okay? Uh, but two of them he was top 12. Uh, only one game he finished 13 through 24. So when he does have those relevant weeks, I mean, top 12, that's what you're looking for, especially in best ball. You know, if you only get two, three, four of those a season, you know, it's not going to be good for, you know, season-long fantasy. But in best ball, he'll give you some game-winning weeks. So... Maybe look at that, but top 24 receiver in three out of 11 games, 43rd most consistent at 27.3%. And outside of that, he busted outside of the top 36 everywhere else, 72% of the time. Again, boomer bust, feaster, famine, deep threat, kind of a one-dimensional guy. And Sky Moore, you know, all these guys being drafted relevantly around the same spot, um, Hardman, MVS, and Sky Moore. Uh, average ADP is wide receiver 59, 56, and 60, respectively. So take your shot. Again, Sky Moore, I think, is a guy that can be very valuable at essentially a free draft cost. I'd definitely rather take him in season long over MBS and Hardman. Um, not much else to go over there, really. The receiver room, I can't give you any concrete answers. Juju and Sky are the only guys I'm even considering for fantasy. And then Travis Kelsey, again, I just won't spend a first-round pick on a fucking tight end. He's being drafted 13th overall tight end one. Last year being drafted 12th overall tight end one. 
finished tight end two last year because Mark Andrews broke fantasy football. Uh, Travis Kelsey played 16 games, second in points per game behind Andrews, 19th easiest fantasy schedule, four tight ends. Last year finished top six, 62.5% of his games, second best behind Andrews. Top 12, 75%, that was first most consistent. Outside of that, had um, one game uh, in the tight end two category, one game in outside of the top 24. So uh, super consistent guy, obviously, but uh, I'm not spending a first or second round pick on a tight end, and that's basically just where I'll leave the conversation. Like, just won't do it. I've brought this up a couple of times. My general philosophy is to grab a running back or a receiver there. I really lean running back super heavy in the first two rounds. You can usually get a wide receiver one in fantasy in rounds three and four. If you look back to years past of A.J. Brown and you know Cooper Cup was a fourth-round pick last year, it's pretty easy to find those guys. And tight end, just holy shit, I'm not taking one that early. So, you know, that's it. You know, there's a lot of question marks in the receiving and running back room. It's kind of hard to predict where the targets are going to go. You know, this is really more of a preview than a final draft. So that's the information that we have at this point. Again, recording on Saturday, August 6th. This episode will be out Sunday, August 7th. And so that's what we got on the Chiefs. We're going to do the Raiders next. Again, we'll circle back a little bit to maybe that Hall of Fame game and talk about what that team's going to look like this year with a new head coach and a new stud receiver. You know, Derek Carr and Devontae Adams, college uh, teammates getting reunited here in the NFL. A lot to talk about with that Raiders team, and I'll try not to call them the Oakland Raiders constantly throughout that episode. I realize they have moved to Vegas. So that's going to do it here, guys. Raiders tomorrow. Thank you for listening. Ramble on.